Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, extraordinary, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious episode of Normandy FM. I'm here, Eric Van Allen, as is your co-host, co-pilot in life, Kenneth Shepard take the wheel. Does that make me Edie or Joker? I thought that makes you Jesus, but okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you could... I haven't found out! I, you could you could play Jesus. You got you got the beard for it. Yeah, but I don't have the hair anymore. So. Yeah, just well, we we get you. I mean, nobody has very few people have Jesus hair. That's a, Let that me tell you about commitment. Jonathan Benes. Okay, well, that takes commitment. Like you have to decide from a young age that you're going to have Jesus hair. You know what I'm saying? That's not something you. That's that's why it's impressive. It's not something you do overnight. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. me where I get impulsive and buzz my hair off for a high school marching band competition. And did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you, like as a person, not not buzz, hair... not full, not full like bald, just down to like a like a number. I want to say like a number two or number three. Mm, uh, okay. I would was... say like as a person that has lost his hair, I I'm upset that you just like take your hair for granted that way. Well, it, it was something in all of us. There was another guy named Jorge who also had very long, luscious locks like myself, and we were all doing it solidarity to try and win that year. We got third. I was saying, did it, Actually, did no, it wait, we got fourth because we didn't medal. I'm pretty sure I'm the reason we got fourth, too. Never, like, dealt with those feelings, but I feel like a podcast is the right place to do that. I'm pretty sure that I fucked up and we got fourth because of me, but... <laughs> I... That there was a point. Okay, not since we're having like high school fuck up fourth place things. When I was in my senior high school, I was on the uh, the quartet in chorus, and okay. we we were at this uh, regional competition, and there was this one. Uh, um, God, I don't remember the song, but there was this one song, and it was like we weren't. It was you had to be off book, so you couldn't remember the words. And I had of mm-hmm. like of, of the four of us, I had the least um, let's say stage experience, so. If I if all four of us were to fuck up the same line at the same time, I would be the one that would physically react, and I did. And oh. the they stress uh, that if you fuck up while you're playing music, don't broadcast it in any way because yeah. anyone who doesn't know the song isn't going to know it. Even though there are four dudes each saying four different things at the same time while you're singing a song, so you think that'd be enough to set, set somebody off. But we got fourth place, so I don't really know like if that. I don't really know if it was my fault. Solid fourth place. Yeah. I was playing trombone and I might have been a little bit too loud when I was down on that uh, close to the the front of the ensemble. Mm. And so like there's one part where it's supposed to be this like we're supposed to be very loud. The name of the show was on edge. Like it was supposed to be like this very loud, aggressive show. And we get to the end and it's um oh was this on Medea? Um, and it's we get to this big part, and all of a sudden it's just da 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 da, and all you hear is just trombone just ripping it, <laughs> and I was mm. like, 
that's me but hey there was some other dude who in the middle of adagio for strings he was the trumpet and you hear this (laughs) it's really bad (laughs) sorry everybody who's listening on headphones um nobody music music hey music's important to mass effect i feel like we don't talk about that enough you know like the music in this game is incredible i mean when you bounce out to that map screen it's just doing that like if i mean if we're gonna go on this tangent like mass effect 3 like to this day i can go listen to a lot of songs on its soundtrack and still get like misty eyed as it's happening it's and it's funny because there's only a few songs there's there's the map song and there's the one that plays during like the menu and stuff and during like big story moments it's that very like i'm not going to even try to sing it because it's very like like very like ambient tones the piano Um, stuff yeah that's the only stuff i can really like name but Mm. all the music in general is just very good it doesn't get in the way it's very ambient uh and it's it's just good it's all around good like it's it's not like final fantasy 10 where I, i can just be like hey like this is the song the the battle song this is the song from this area of the game like undertale or anything like that but it's good music it's good music video game music does not get the recognition it should because that's it's hard to make songs for video games as i as i have heard we're talking in tangents today because this is kind of a more relaxed episode uh obviously we do not have a guest uh it's just ken and i and this is one of right now as we have it set out two episodes where because Mass Effect 3 is kind of big, because there's a lot of stuff going on, there's stuff happening on the periphery, uh, we wanted to set aside what we called Citadel side quest missions. These don't always necessarily mean that they take place on on the Citadel the whole time, but they're usually kind of centered around the Citadel. That's how a lot of the side quests are. Uh, and it gives us an opportunity to touch on some of the character moments that happen either on the Citadel, on the Normandy, just all this stuff that's happening, because we take for example we were talking before we started the podcast and there are moments like the garris stuff and the uh jacob stuff or not jacob sorry um why am i blanking on his name all of a sudden vega (laughs) other human squad mate that just shows up and makes you wonder why they're even there uh Mm. that just kind of happens here as kenneth just noted to me in slack also liara's dad dad the right there's a whole conversation about this there's a whole conversation i'm still mad i've not like i need to go back before i do maybe i'll do that to like open my stream that i keep talking about that i will eventually do someday i will go back and that will be the first thing i do is go through that dialogue because i can you still go through it after the coup or i think that's probably the point where it cuts off uh okay maybe i'll like just open up a youtube window and we'll watch it hopefully we won't get like slammed by a dmca uh (laughs) i'll do i'll do in like an incognito window and then i'll open it up and then like all the recommendations will be like why pewdiepie is right and gamers should be superpower (laughs) (laughs) oh youtube gaming youtube have you ever done that before? You ever opened up like a, a YouTube window and in incognito to just see like what the regular recommendations are when you don't have all that algorithm stuff in there? Mm-mm. It's it's eye opening. You should do it sometime because that's mm-hmm. when you suddenly go like, oh, this is what YouTube algorithms recommend when you just want to look at like 
I want to see what Sony's E3 2018 press conference was. And the first thing you look up is like, EA is nothing but lies. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not even Sony, it's EA. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is our, our opportunity to talk about this stuff and obviously, like, shoot the shit and stuff, too. So, uh, the first one we're going to talk about as far as the Citadel side quests go, is Arya's stuff. And to be clear, this is not Omega. We're going to do a separate episode that's solely about the Omega stuff. Obviously, that's, like, on Omega. It's a whole separate DLC. This is purely just meeting up with her, uh, finding her in the club, hanging out, and getting all the Merc bands to band under her. Because this is kind of something that I had forgotten was, like, a main theme of Mass Effect 2, but you're kind of dismantling all these Merc groups mm, in, the, yeah. in the process. Like, I was trying to do a tally by the end of it. I think you've killed the leader and most of the subordinates of that leader of just about all the Merc groups. Mm. So, the um, the Arya bits here are really nice, just because I like Arya a lot as a character. Mm. She's always a character that yeah. I wish had been in the game series. I know she's got her own stuff, but I wanted to see her in the game more often, which is why I ended up liking Omega a lot. But yeah, uh, and, and in, in this part in particular, she kind of gets the Liara of Mass Effect Two role, where she's got like yes. a very very small like line of side quests, but then it's clearly kind of setting the stage for something a lot later. Which mm-hmm. was the Omega DLC, which didn't come out until like want to say like eight or nine months after the game came out. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of the timeline the other day because it was Omega and then Citadel that came out. I believe Citadel was like the last DLC that came out, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that was like a full year after. Yeah, the game. it was a long time after. So it's, but it's an interesting one because I like the way that you can kind of play with the power structure of all these different groups. You yep. can decide how you want to go about, um, you know, like you get to kind of play God a little bit. You get to play puppet master a little bit with how they all play out and whether you want to set them up to be able to usurp uh, Arya potentially, or whether you want them to be loyal to Arya in some way, or it's, it's, it's fun that way. I enjoy it. Yeah. And it has a lot of, like, it has, like, a lot of different um, outcomes as well. And it, a lot of it seems to boil down to, is like, the Renegade option is kind of more the fast and efficient way of getting it done, but it also might sort of... Not leave, go well um, for Arya later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or just j- people in general later, because, like, um, the uh, Eclipse... I don't remember I don't remember what her name was, but she was jailed in the Citadel. Yes. And you're, what you're, the, you're initially set out to do is just find a way to get her out... But what I ended up doing was I talked to her, and I was like, nah, no way. But I went and talked to her second command, and was like, I'm going to let her out, and then you kill her, and then you're in command, and then everybody's great. It's like, it, it, you, you go out of your way, to you can still get these things done, but maybe have less collateral damage after the fact. Yeah, because I did the thing where you don't let her out, and you just convince the guy that, hey, like this is going great for you. Why would you ever want her right. out? when you can just keep doing your thing and living life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like that it does those little things and it's nice because it's all dialogue. Um, it's all talking. It's all like mm. diplomacy. I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a point where you ever have to fight any of the mercs. I don't think mm-hmm. there is. No. Um, I mean, you do have to shoot somebody once, but it's not like an actual played thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an actual like, combat sequence and that's what i like again we we talk about it all the time but those moments when you get to solve things with words instead of with 
just how the game usually hands it to you is really cool. Uh, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot recently with the the recent reveal of Modern Warfare that they're like trying to still do storytelling in that game when it's still you know ostensibly a game that's about shooting people. You know that's the how right. you interact with the world. So that Mass Effect like tries to take those moments to really let you interact with the world without shooting it is cool. <laughs> um, no. Bar Levon, I gotta be honest. I've never liked Barlavon. Mm. I I mean, you can probably go back to like Normandy FM season one and hear me talking like, oh, hey, it's Barlavon. But that's kind of how I feel, especially with Mass Effect 3, is I see him and I'm like, oh, I just, this character is, he's weird to me. You know, he's, mm. I, I can never tell if he's supposed to be like a trope. Like he's supposed to be this weird trope that's just kind of like, oh yeah, he's the the stingy banker type and that has a lot of mm. like baggage with it but yeah. um <laughs> it's it's also just uh every time he shows up i don't know why they're referencing him because i never think of like oh yeah beloved mass effect character bar yeah. Levon. <laughs> like i'd rather well, have it be like what if it was the psychotic biotic or the the uh the biotic god God. what if he like cleaned up his act and he was the the banker at this place he's like i'm trying to be good and then you could have like a side quest thing where you sneak him some of the biotic stuff and he's like i'm going back out i'm gonna save the streets (laughs) like that'd be great that'd be ethically ambiguous at best but that'd be great (laughs) i think it's i just think it's kind of cool that mass Effect 3 had so many returning like smaller characters that even like date back to mass Effect 1 because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there, I mean, there's a lot of carryover in Mass Effect 1 and 2, but there weren't as many, like, small cameos like that. Where, like, even in the Arya stuff, uh, General Araka, that was um from, like, yeah. way, way back yeah. in, like, Forest End. And that, I like that we get these little moments to check in, and a lot of that gets relegated to, like, emails and stuff. But I do like mm-hmm. when they find places to have these uh, other characters show back up yeah. in a semi-meaningful way. Yeah, like um, I'm trying to remember her name. The the sorry consort doesn't she show up at some point in this game? I want to say, or maybe I'm thinking she, Mass Effect Two. She is in Citadel. Okay, okay. I, I might be thinking of a Mass Effect Two thing that where where she shows up or gets mentioned or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also have like the the sorry who was also on Zeus Hope that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, who she was on Mass Effect Two, and I think you talked mm-hmm. to her again in this one because there's that whole bit about. The, you get the Zeus Hope colonists as a war asset, where they're like, "Hey, it turns out that all of us being sci- like psychically linked makes us really good soldiers, even though we weren't before, just because we can coordinate better than any other fighting force. So we're actually all badasses now." And I was like, "Awesome! <laughs> That's great. That's a great way to work them back into this whole story yeah. setup. Uh, this psychic soldier squad <laughs> from the colonies." <laughs> Uh, yes, mm-hmm. Barlevon's also, as as can you note, uh, he gives us an aquarium VI that feeds our fish automatically, so we have no need of bringing Kelly Chambers back on the ship. Uh, we're Goodbye! Good. We're good. Uh, what, Kelly so I, Chambers, as with many people, has had her job replaced by automation. Uh, it's, a, mm. it's a shame, but, you know, it is what it is. It, it, Mass Effect 3 is also political, if you didn't know. <laughs> Talking about it's, machines poli- coming for our jobs. It's a political game. I did always kind of wonder why in mass effect 2 you needed kelly chambers there when she basically does jobs that ed could be doing 
Like all mm. she, all she's really doing Imagine is being that. like, "Hey, you've got messages on your private terminal." And then, like you every know, once in a while, you walk like... up and she gives you the Psych 101 analysis of whatever like, roommate just yeah. joined. Like, like oh. do you know how horny everyone on this ship is? Every, yeah, everyone on this ship's really, like, really just horny right now. It's really weird. I think, uh, I think Jacob has some father issues. <laughs> good, <laughs> good analysis there, Chambers. <laughs> Tell me more. She's real good at her job. Yeah. Uh, we also have Kasumi's mm. mission, who I've been complaining about this whole thing. Uh, Ken, tell me about Kasumi's mission. So the... I will... I mean, we'll talk about Zaid's up, like, next Citadel side quest uh, episode, but I will say up front, like, the again, Kasumi just... of Zaid's mission. She just gets... Like, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think her appearance is as nuanced as, like, most characters in this game, but it is, like, leaps and bounds better than uh, Zaid's. So the thing that's happening is a specter. Uh, oh shoot! Double check his name. Great radio. Pulling it up. It's John Tom John Dumbau. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> this dude is uh, looking into some uh, basically evidence that Hanar has been sabotaging stuff on the Citadel, and that he's indoctrinated. That he's indoctrinated. And indoctrinated this Hanar. That's what I. Well, damn it! I wanted well, to see okay. that. <laughs> that sounds no, great. no. It, the explanation for this is even wilder. Trust me. So, he's looking into that, and he seems to. He says that he got intel on this from a, a mysterious source that he believes was probably Kasumi Goto. So, we come to find out that yes, it was. And so, like, she is. She talks to us, and she. about how this was what was in the gray box that we destroyed or did not destroy in Mass Effect 2. This is. Oh, okay. This, yeah, so it connects to her in that way. And she's cloaked the whole time, and she's kind of talking like she might have like some PTSD from the suicide mission because like she's like adamant that she doesn't want to come back to the Normandy because she does like she's not willing to put herself through that again so that's kind of sad she like and she does make a joke about how like she's horny for Jacob and like if Jacob was there then she might come back but <laughs> didn't see that one so, coming okay <laughs> yeah so what it, how it all ends up culminating is uh, you find the Hanar that they're tracking down and he's not indoctrinated, but he has found out that the Collectors were Protheans, and the Hanar worship the Protheans, so by his logic, he needs to continue to do what the Collectors oh, were doing and serve gotcha. the Reapers. Mm. And then then you get the return of the big, stupid jellyfish line, which is good. And then normally, like, if well, not normally, because, like, you get this uh, quest, regardless of whether you had Kasumi or not, but having Kasumi means where you don't have to choose between two different things because what ends up happening is the Hanar puts like a virus into um oh shit into the planetary uh, defense systems I, I, yeah, pulled, yeah. I pulled up the wiki while you were also looking so looks like right. he, he uploads a virus that will take out the planetary defense systems it's possible to catch the upload but the uh, the the shifty looking human which is what the IGN wiki calls it <laughs> um it can try to stop you um so you have a choice between stopping the virus or saving 
John Don Bao, and if mm. you have Kasumi and you, you you have the DLC and you did her loyalty mission and stuff, uh, well, Kasumi will save him either way, and then if you did the loyalty mission, Kasumi will also join as a war asset. Um, yeah, because if she if she um, if you don't do your, do her loyalty mission, she's not loyal. Because like what happens is like what she, the the thing that she uh, disables blows up, but like it, I mean they stop the virus, so it blows up. She cloaks and it makes it look like, um, like she, like she died. died. Yeah, and so if she's not loyal, she never uncloaks. But if she, she is loyal, she does. Um, mm. so, so I took that to like. I don't know that she ever dies in any scenario, but I don't know that she comes back for Shepard if she's not loyal. It was it's always been my reading on it. Gotcha. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's interesting. I I always thought that Kasumi was a cooler character than the game ever gave her space to be. Yeah, uh, that's I, for sure. I think she's definitely one of the more interesting human characters. Definitely more interesting than Zaid, uh, who never mm. really like like Zaid. And we'll talk about his mission a little bit. I didn't like loathe him as much as I did in Mass Effect Two, as in Mass Effect Three. But uh, he is definitely like kind of a caricature where uh, Mass Effect or. Kasumi in Mass Effect 2 and 3 always felt like she could have been more of a character. Her, her story with the gray box and stuff could have been expanded on more. Maybe yeah. I would have gotten what I was looking for if I had done this loyalty mission. But hey, Mass Effect 3 loves to obscure that stuff from you. Because that that's like hidden over on a side of the Citadel that you like never have to go to. So that sucks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've never done that mission. Like in all the times really? I played Mass Effect three, which maybe like two or three times, but uh yeah, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that I I'm like ninety percent sure the first time I played this game I never did that mission either. Because it's just it's over in like a weird area and you only ever have to go over there for a few things. One of which is to talk to Miranda. She's over there on yep. that Spectre terminal. We gotta talk to the butt hologram. Uh and you might want to contextualize what you just said. Well I Look, the game contextualizes it for you. Like, a, a hologram of Miranda pops up. She needs to talk to you. She's got some stuff going down. And uh, she's she's trying to catch up with you after the coup happens. Uh, and every time it pans to Shepard, it just does that Mass Effect 2 framing of her butt all over again. Almost, yeah. almost in homage. <laughs> like, it was yeah. so blatant that part of me was like, are they making a callback? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Call back to that back side. Uh, yeah, Lord. it's. I like Miranda's character a lot, and we already talked a little bit about this dialogue mm-hmm. last episode because it's the one where you get to warn her about Kyling and, and how mm-hmm. you know he's around. But this this is kind of setting up what ends up being a very important plot line throughout Mass Effect Three, and you don't realize it until it actually becomes so. But this sort of conflict that Miranda is finally going to settle affairs with her father mm-hmm. once and for all. And, uh, y- you get the choice of, I, you know, helping her or not helping her through all these different ones. This isn't the big one, but it is the one where you just are kind of like, Hey, you know, be safe. You know, and I know you mm-hmm. can do what you, if you're being nice to her, you're like, you know, I know you can do what you gotta do, but just be careful, you know, keep an eye out. Yeah. That Kai Lang dude and his booby robot just hanging out. Like, and it's it's sad too because like there there is like this tinge of sadness all her scenes because she's she's so insistent that she doesn't want your help because you're busy doing other shit and it's like let me help you 
Like, I just, it's sad. Because, it, like, and even this scene, like, there's not even a goodbye. She just kind of, like, sadly looks at you and just mm-hmm. walks away because it's... What are words in time of the apocalypse? Yeah. It's... I like, ultimately, the way they ended up handling Miranda's story because I think it ends up elevating her to the level of character that she is, like, deserving of in the series. Mm-hmm. I think by the time you get to the end of the stuff in Mass Effect 3 with her, she definitely feels like she's elevated to the level of Kaiden and Ashley um, where she has that gravitas about her whereas you know other say other human companions who Mm. may have been introduced to Mass Effect 2 do not get the same spotlight and maybe thankfully so because of the way their storylines are handled but oh boy we'll get to that don't worry (laughs) but we we do have some good uh, human companions to talk to though we do what are you segueing into because i have javik as my next thing oh well i mean you skipped down so i just figured we were jumping around and oh. i thought of a good segue so well no we got we we're taking care of citadel stuff for see you're thinking in terms of 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 race over here i'm thinking in terms of location come on mm, okay all right we gotta talk to javik man he's on the sit what's he doing walking around on the citadel man he's gonna alarm people that's casually like, that's like spider pig walking around being like do pigs talk talk in this universe <laughs> Like he, he's standing over there like, are Protheans alive in this universe? <laughs> it's like, oh, so Javik's hanging out on the Citadel. We can go talk to him. And, you know, he has this kind of moment where he's, I never, he never got to see the Citadel because it had been taken. Mm-hmm. It The thing I like about his conversations and, and something that I actually felt was sorely missing or, or would have been sorely missed if I had played Mass Effect 3 without uh, Javik is you get a sense for how painfully long the the reaping is because yeah. you're kind of seeing it happen in the moment but that's because you're mm-hmm. jetting around to like the primary theaters of war you're seeing it as it's happening but it really gives you an appreciation for how large the the galaxy is when he's saying yeah like generations lived and died in this war with the reapers like they didn't know anything but war with the reapers he never knew anything but war with the reapers and that gives you like a really immense appreciation for how i mean just how long and painful this process is for the people who are living in it Mm. uh it's a really cool bit and then some people show up and they're like holy shit it's a prothean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh ken how did you feel about this scene because we get this little option here where javik maybe delivers some not inspiring words and i'm tempted oh. to know did you encourage him to pep up the crowd did you I pep did. up the crowd okay i did you were because you're not that much of a monster <laughs> no never i don't know and it's also it's like a nice scene to be like hey that's not what you need to be doing right now because like he doesn't even argue about it he's like he's not like oh no these people need to know what's coming he's like like without missing a beat he knows that it is better to help morale than it is to be i guess kind of the realist he might Mm -hmm. have initially believed himself to be yeah it's it is like realism versus idealism uh and that kind of i think represents maybe the difference between javik as the specter of or the the shepherd of the last cycle and mm-hmm. shepherd of this cycle is that he even talks about it in dialogue that you have with him that he says maybe the fact that you are not one race that is that has like conquered all the others but you are all these different races with different minds different ideas different ambitions working together 
gives you an edge that we never had because i think mm-hmm. at, at some point uh you, you go back through what was believed to be some of the previous cycles and you kind of see like what their stuff was i want to say as as you're going back through the crucible data i might be misremembering that but um, i mean there's a point later that you get to well there, talk there's about. a point later where you get to talk about maybe the earliest of the cycles uh, mm. that we will get to yeah. god it's a cool dlc uh now we can talk to the human companions because we've got joker hanging out on the citadel as well just yeah, just he, hanging he out the, he's that sometimes he's just hanging you know Edie wants to dance or is, is he hanging or is he, is he sticking straight out right now i mean he's he's sticking straight out i mean he's a sore thumb sore thumb on the dance floor you yeah, and i yeah, went two the very different directions between that oh all right oh kenneth kenneth and i thought i was going to be the one to bring up horniness in this conversation first <laughs> no no uh yeah joker i mean what 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 left is there to say we we have bashed on you a little bit when jay was on he he uh we really if we we let her rip on that one but uh this is maybe the scene where i had the moment of a lot of my frustrations with the joker ed stuff actually kind of just stems from the joker area mm-hmm. because it, and you note this in your notes that Edie has some interesting stuff to say in this part where she's talking about how she's trying to figure out power dynamics and peer groups and and how she relates to organics and just mm-hmm. you know she is a being unlike anybody else at this point right. she's trying to understand where she fits in the universe and right now the closest thing she has to an anchor is joker and there's like some interesting stuff in that that could be explored and i just never felt like joker's character was elevated to the level to like meet that sort of deep exploration right it's like it it is unfortunate that you know Edie doesn't have more time to talk to somebody like legion or yes yeah or even like tally to like have those sort of and i mean like you're sure she has shepherd and that's great that's 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 fine but the game pushes the Joker Edie relationship so hard that it's like you got this doofus that could be doing literally anything else with his time, <laughs> and this person is having like basically the galaxy's biggest existential crisis. And I don't know. It's just I, I beyond the Edie stuff, I like Joker's character in Mass Effect Three a lot because like he does get the more because like. He has been sort of the comic relief for a while, and you know, but also similar to someone like Garrus, like this anchor for Shepard as well, like this constant. And some of the stuff that happens like around the Thessia area is really good. Yeah, um, yeah. But so much of the stuff that you have to talk to him about is about fucking him wanting to bone this robot that yeah, he inhabits. And we're I not just... to the parts where he gets to shine yet. He, we're not yeah. to the to the best parts of Joker yet, which which is a bummer. Uh, and again, I'm hopeful for Citadel to do a little bit about that too. I, mm. If I if I was a betting person, again, I know nothing about Citadel. So if I'm making weird That's... predictions that sound accurate, I genuinely do not mean it. I know nothing about Citadel. I don't even know what the setup is or anything like that. Uh, I will tell you that if I was a person who was writing some sort of thing to send off Mass Effect 3, I would definitely have some sort of thing about Joker in it. Because mm. yeah, Joker is that that anchor for Shepard and I think that should be like recognized in some way so 
Uh, we also got to talk to James. Well, actually, let's not get to James yet because we do have one other human character who's hanging out in the club with mm-hmm. with uh, with Joker and Edie. Kind of not with them, but nearby. Uh, Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack's hanging out. Uh, she is. And then, you know, you run into Jack. You make some jokes. She makes some jokes. She's joking. She's happy. She's She doesn't want to join back up in the Normandy. She wants to stay with her students and all that. Man, really like this bit. It's it made me happy. I was of all the times when you have a character and you're you know you're like I you know I'm not going to join you, Shepard. I've got my own stuff going on in this game. Uh, Jax was the one where I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you do you. You know you you do your stuff. I don't. I want to go help Miranda. I want to go help all these other characters. But Jack, you got it together. Jack, she's doing great. She's she's yeah. found a purpose. It's nice. It's sweet. It's it's very good. Mm-hmm. Jack's and then you go dance great. with her. Yeah, you, you do. Go, you go dance, and like she gets, she has the the great line about how everyone knows the shepherd can't dance. Uh huh. You gotta show her those shepherd moves, man. Those yeah. those shep moves. Uh. And then we bust on down to to James. So this is actually back on the Normandy. Where we'll talk about. Uh, there's a scene where you can talk to James where he's getting a tattoo over in that uh, the part where all the refugees are. But that, as I recall, is not super interesting or, or really in depth or anything the, the big meat of james uh one vega's story is that uh he, he's thinking about becoming n7 mm. and uh he he asked to come up to your cabin to talk about it and you have this very interesting conversation with him about what it means to be n7 and also just like expectations and things like that the the idea of becoming like a high-ranking military personnel what that means for him what it's going to do and this was the part where i was like okay i still hate you vega but (laughs) you can stay on the ship now (laughs) don't get to call me nicknames (laughs) swear to god you're going out the damn ear airlock (laughs) but it, it yeah, was it I, was interesting. I, I liked it because I feel like for a long time, uh, Vega was this character who was being gradually set up to be this sort of check for Shepard. You know, this the idea that you know there are people who have come up in the military seeing Shepard as this war hero, and Vega is one of them, but also mm-hmm. is like a foil to that as well. And I think he actually finds a little bit more purpose in this scene in in that respect. Yeah. And like just generally the it's because so much of this scene is sort of about the same stuff that was happening when you like were you were doing that sparring match at the very beginning. It's it kind of shows just how much he's sort of acclimated to the Normandy and just like seeing Shepard as a person, mm-hmm. which I like because like he he actually is able to talk about the events that happened with the collectors in Mass Effect Paragon Lost now on DVD and Blu-ray, and <laughs> it is uh, more tempered and he can actually like not kind of slip into like a darker place when he talks about it and i think that's really nice to have that if I, like it, it more than anything else in this game kind of solidifies that sort of mentor student dynamic that's going on here mm-hmm. so we're, we're saving the best for last here ken i'm doing this intentionally we're saving the best for last mm-hmm. let's talk about trainer not saying the trainer is not the best trainer's good trainer trainer made top three here trainer's great <laughs> uh I, I will tell you that playing this game as Femshep has made me somewhat wish 
to play through the game with just a like starting in mass effect 3 character you know use the tools to like set up my backstory and all that Mm -hmm. and and romance trainer because her scene here where you call her you know we're at the part of the game where you have a lot of like call people up to your cabin to have a little like individual character moment uh and trainers is playing chess and Mm. boy it's there's some tension there when you're playing as femship that is palpable like the the room's getting a little hot you're you're fanning the sweat a little bit it's some good eye furtive eye glances back and forth it's it's real good ken it's good stuff just so i have to ask you had you um you, you solidified the Liara relationship by the yes. time that you got the Yeah, scene. no, that was rock okay. solid by this point. But you can still right. flirt. And damn well, it. Because, <laughs> like, I know the... Shepard ain't Shepherd dead yet. This... <laughs> <laughs> Shepard's in a relationship. She's not dead. Exactly. So my, I know if you play a Femshep and you're not in a relationship at this point, the scene can take a much different... Um... Oh, it can go places? Well, because go on. Trainer, ma- <laughs> trainer makes a con comment about how Shepard has their own shower. Oh, I, I did and then, not get that one. And that's the thing is like you can let her use it, or you can ha- or you can play chess with her. So I didn't know if if that part got locked off if you were already in a relationship because the way it plays out for male Shepard is like she doesn't even mention the shower and one of the- so. I obviously wasn't going to pick this anyway, but one of the things that I really like about this scene if you're playing with Male Shepherd is while you're playing chess, you have the chance to flirt with her and, like, proposition her. Oh, my and, God. And then she's like, uh, nah, no thanks, man, you're not my type. And it's, like, in a series that has, like, let male players have any woman they want, like, just... Any character that, they the, want, basically. But, well, yeah, it's like, it's just... It's, it's like, a it's, chef kiss. It's exquisite. It's, it's beautiful. Yes. It's like, I, I've... I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but I've talked about it on podcasts before. That That's, like, one of my favorite parts about Dragon Age Inquisition is I'd been playing mm-hmm. very much a self-insert character, and I was pursuing Sarah because I was like, oh, my God, I really like Sarah as a character. I want to get to know her. Mm-hmm. I want to romance her. And then I hit a point where you can keep flirting with her, and she's like, dude, you're not my type. Like, I'm, no. I'm sorry, I'm not into dudes. And I was like... It's the first time a Bioware game has ever done that to me. And I was like, oh boy, this is an eye-opening moment for me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and not I, to quote I did the same. Spider-Verse over and over again, but that part where he's like, okay, re-examining my personal biases. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yep, that's, yeah, that was I, me. <laughs> I did the same thing in, uh, in Inquisition as well. Like, I mean, knowing full well it wasn't going to work out, but it's like, I'm, I, my, my Inquisition is a, uh, is a hoe for a minute. And he, I flirted with Colin a lot until he was finally like, I just, I can't feel that way. But, you know, it's like, well, point for trying. And then immediately went to Dorian because... Well, it's Dorian. Come on. Like, yeah. Come on. The the one true bay. What's she doing? Yeah. No Inquisitor's that straight. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> yeah, no, the trainer stuff is really good. I mean, like, we're talking about all the steamy stuff and all like that, but also, like, trainer's just... She's a really interesting character. I like that she comes from, like, a, a non-military background she's a, a scientist she's very and she's also kind of awkward she 
Mm-hmm. She has a great character moment later on where she ends up tracking some stuff and she doesn't want to like speak up right away, but she's one of those people who's actually like, oh, she's really good at her job and she's just like yeah. not confident enough to speak up about it and she kind of grows into her role. Like the the amount of character building they do for trainer in a single game and yet she is so leaps and bounds ahead of Kelly Chambers or really mm-hmm. honestly most of the Normandy crew that you have. Yeah. Like you even have uh the, the the engineers who are very much you know they're they're a little bit of a i don't want to call them a meme but they're kind of a running gag you know they're Mm. these you go down there oh the engineers are bickering again oh oh." but like i would put trainer on the level of chakwas in that yeah in that she is this very much a constant that becomes part of the crew and a lot of that has to do with also the fact that she is part of the crew she shows up in story important cutscenes and things like that Mm -hmm. uh kind of like Cortez, I mean, who we'll talk about yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, like, we can talk about the, Cortez right now. Like, that's... Yeah. I, I would the, also put Cortez on that tier. Uh, he's he's coming in our top three here, too, of our side quest stuff. <laughs> uh, we're not ranking yeah. it, though, except for number one. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, Cortez, also this character who I really feel becomes something much more than just a shuttle pilot and someone you can kind of talk to on the side you know for a couple things like i think back to mass effect one and two where you had these characters like the mess kitchen and stuff like that where mm-hmm. you you get these little side quests and they'd be interesting fun little characters but you wouldn't really get anywhere whereas with cortez you really get to see his story play play out whereas trainer is much more light-hearted fun mm-hmm. it's I mean, I mean, it is. It's got some weight to it, but it's not nearly as weighty as Cortez's, where he gets into some no. really deep stuff. And apparently, as I have learned while doing research for the end of my stream, um, for for the stream of the end of my game, uh, you can affect some things end game with how how much you talk to him and and when you do it and stuff like that. That I never knew. Yeah, I never knew that was a thing. I, yeah, that's a that's a thing. Um. Yeah, I, Cortez is uh, he's a character that's like about grief and in the midst of this war and uh, the first conversation we ever have with him or not the first but like one, like the second conversation we have with him he's listening to a recording of his husband who died in, during the collector uh, attacks mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it is just kind of like helping him to move it like not necessarily like it's one of the things about like moving forward but not forgetting and like kind right. of not not taking like not taking the moment he's the time he still has for granted um so like he there's a point which where like he gets into like he kind of talk about his work-life balance which because like he'll be up on the on the the deck working on the shuttle so at like strange hours and you can be like hey do you do do you do things for fun do you have hobbies at all and then he talks about how he likes to go like on like their views on the Citadel, where he can like watch the ships go by, and like that's something he's passionate about. And you have to you have to go Paragon check through it, and I don't know if that is I necessarily. Need to, I need to go back because I don't think I've gotten that far in Cortez's line, or even if that is a thing that Femshep's able to do. Because mm. as, as you know, this like gradually goes into more stuff of them hanging out and and doing things that gradually become romantic. And I, I'm curious as well because. Uh, I want to know how far that stuff goes with Femshep as well. Yeah, because that, that is one of the things that's like, I, I wonder. I, I assume you get all of these scenes, but I, like, I assume the tenor of the conversation is a little different because as it gets like, because you can go talk to him 
when he's watching the ships on the Citadel, and it becomes this, it feels emotionally intimate in a way that I don't like. I don't know how it would, how it would read with friendship, but like it reads very much like the beginnings of a romantic relationship up to that point, and then you can go with him to like there. There's like a, a point on the uh, on the Citadel on on the docks where like there's like these memorial walls where everyone's putting up like pictures yeah, and stuff yeah. of the dead, and you can and takes one of his ex-husband there, and then um, that's a universal scene. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, because that's one of the checks for later on. I think that's a universal scene, but this stuff with purgatory okay. and all that, I'm interested yeah. to see whether that can be accessed by a femship or not. So I, I can do some like work on that and, and report back. Yeah. yeah, so like I, I get a lot of thoughts from the scene. A lot, most of them are good. Like I, I, cause I would say up front, like I think the scene as it exists is kind of perfect, and I like. As, like if, again, and then in another time, another life, <laughs> my shepherd and Steve Cortez would be shacking up. But so like he, you, you get him to that point, and he's kind of like got a new lease on life, and he's like, you know, I can't keep getting stuck in the past. I got to start moving forward. And um, and so so he talks about how he likes this, the he likes purgatory because he likes dancing, and then he makes a joke about like some of the eye candy is not bad either, and he looks at some dude in the crowd, and then shepherd. Okay, so this is the you're in like. <laughs> To initiate the romance or not initiate the romance is kind of. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep thinking of the vine, the two guys sitting in a hot tub, five yeah. park as an arcade. <laughs> yeah, so you you can be like, and the thing is, like, you can go to like up to a, several points in this dialogue and kind of like jokingly flirt, but not end up in the relationship. So what, like, the first thing you can be is like. Why aren't you looking over here? And I'm like, because he's looking at the student, and then Cortez is like, "Who says I'm not?" And then, then he starts to acknowledge that like there's been no gay romance up to this point because Cortez is like, "I've heard that like a lot of women have you know shown interest in you, but you haven't shown any back." And then you can say something along the lines of like, "I haven't had a moment with the right woman, or I haven't had a moment with the right man." And then he's like, "Oh, really? Come dance with me." And then you go dance, and then it, to this point, it's still considered platonic because, like, at the very end, you can be like, That's "You're a good weird. friend," or you can be, "Well, mm. huh?" Okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions after you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so then you can be like, "I, I want to be more," or like, "You're a good friend," and that's why I personally have always done. Like, I've gotten to the point where, like, we, my shepherd and Cortez dance, and then he's just like, "You're a good friend," and I trust you with all of our lives as a pilot. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I'm, I got like. That conversation that Cortez has is, like, a very real thing. Like, if you meet somebody outside of, like, a queer space and you don't know... Like, you're trying to gauge... Yeah. If there's, like, an interest there, which is, like, something that I really appreciate that you're kind of, like... That... Do, do you... Do you have interest in men? And then you can... He can be, like, yes or no. My... The one, like, note that I'll put on there that I kind of don't like about it, though, is that it is so clearly also written... To where, like, straight dudes can't, like, accidentally find themselves in this romance. And that that level of clarity doesn't happen with a lot of other romances in this game. So, like, why is this the outlier is something that, like, so, you know, I... Mm. Yeah, so, like, mm. I, can, I can get, like, super upset about that. But also, I just think that as, like, as the scene is written, it, it reads very real to me. Because that exchange happens every day and I've I've experienced myself so on that front I think it's kind of perfect and I love it a lot 
and again, like in a world in which I was not wholly <laughs> dedicated and basically married to Caden Delenko, I would absolutely have gotten with Cortez. What's up, so. Cortez? Um, mm. Yeah. So, so my my perspective looking at this is definitely like the same read that it is that interaction that takes place out, you know, in, in a place that's not like specifically designated as like a, a, a queer space that it is like, right. this kind of out, I don't know what you want to call it, out in the wild or whatever, um, mm. where you kind of have to tread around. And there is like an interesting wrinkle to that because, you know, you wonder like the person writing this, how much of it are they writing as like a thing where it's checking a gameplay box versus they want to really represent that idea of right. kind of carefully towing in the water uh yeah. I, I, I think I it's kind of think... both I... oh you, you go you go no I, I was just say i think it's kind of both and that's why it kind of reads both ways yeah then like it, it feels like very mechanical and then it like wants to like throw up red flags for homophobic straight dudes but also like that is literally that interaction yeah that, that is, is the way that, that interaction, is that interaction just in game form and so maybe it's right. just a little more obvious that that is like a thing that also happens in real life is you are like yeah kind of going over like dialogue wheeling it you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and i i do also like that you have the option to you know identify as somebody who is interested in men but is not necessarily interested in Cortez, I think that's right. an interesting thing as well. I'm glad they did that. Uh, you can do obviously you can do the same with trainer uh, mm-hmm. as as I did with my femship. Um, and I think that's cool that they had this. It shows like a level of maybe not you know it could be accidental maturity. Let's say that they were just trying to check all these boxes because the other thing that I thought of when we were talking when you were talking about this and the idea that you didn't want like straight guys accidentally stumbling into it and stuff is i think of dragon age 2 and the way that anders specifically was handled in that game because i know a lot of people come out of that game going like man anders like legitimately just throws himself at you um Mm -hmm. and i and i want to say uh he does that i've never played as a female hawk but i want to say he's bisexual and does that no matter who hawk is yeah, there's a. I mean, there's another side to that that we will get well, into in the event that we ever cover Dragon Age. But yeah, there yeah, is. Like, I mean, I'll just straight up say that there is a side of that that, like, part of it is that, like, oh man, this is really annoying. Like this, every time I talk to this character, and I want to like, I want to go deeper down this relationship without necessarily like marking the box that says romance. It's really frustrating that it keeps t- like taking that direction, and you get worried about it overriding your other romances and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, which Dragon Age 2, yeah, if we do ever get to that point, I'm really interested in talking about the way that that game handles romances because it's so weird and layered. It's this weird, intricate, like, series of locks. You can end up in a place where you have a bunch of romances just ready and then you can just change them willy-nilly. And it's really weird. Uh, but yeah, I almost kind of like a... that about Dragon Age 2. But Anders was the one that got called out specifically because obviously there were a bunch of dudes playing that game who were like yo why is Anders always coming on to me <laughs> why do i always go <laughs> why do i always go that accent uh, uh and there is like that element of it too and you have to wonder how much of this dialogue here in mass effect 3 is bioware trying to be like okay you know this this is what you're getting yeah. into we want to put up the signs and the light up the runway and flag you into one <laughs> and flag you into the other enter and, here yeah um, oof. not that kind of game. Can <laughs> come. It's, this is an Overwatch. Uh, it's 
Uh, hey. Yeah, I'm thinking about that because that very good Polygon article today. I'm going to yeah. shout them yeah, out today, true. even though I work for a different outlet. <laughs> it's, uh, that, was a, that was a good article today about, about Overwatch porn. <laughs> uh, we do have one, one last character to get to. Uh, the best character. Arguably one of the best scenes in this video game. I just flat out say it. I love. I, agree. I am Eric Van Allen, and this is my favorite scene in Mass Effect Three. <laughs> uh, shooting bottles with Garrus at the top of the Citadel. Uh, there's so much about this scene that I feel does so much lifting of putting Garrus into that place where he goes from a very memorable, uh, you know, rock steady companion to being the character that everyone remembers him for because. Right. playing back through this game i was like man you know garris has a lot of really moody stuff that i don't remember and oh you know he's got all this like especially mass effect 2 he's oh he's always all batman and he's all like oh i'm so angry and why don't you just let me shoot people shepherd and in mass effect 3 <laughs> he's he's a lot more mature obviously he's he's a different character mm-hmm. at this point um and this is this is the part where you just get that i mean this is what this is bioware at their best in my opinion, is when they do writing like this yeah. that is very, it's warm, it's heartfelt, it is two friends hanging out, and then you get the best, I mean, whoever thought of the option, so you're shooting bottles with sniper rifles at the top of the Citadel, which is, Garrus is talking about, oh, you know, it's, I always played by the rules, but there's something I always wanted to do, and we're gonna go do it, because the galaxy's fucking ending, and I want to mm-hmm. do it, you're the person I want to do it with. And you're shooting bottles off the top of the citadel with your sniper rifle and then he throws one out and you have the option to hit it or miss it on purpose and whoever thought of that option deserves a damn award because Mm. it's so good and also i don't know about you ken but i miss that shot every time Every time. Every time. I don't know anybody that ever goes out of the way to shoot it. Not only does it lead to the fantastic bit of him gloating and, oh, this is my favorite <laughs> spot on the Citadel, which is another great callback, but yeah. it's... it's are going to bronze this gun. I, it's, it's that moment where I was like, this is what I would do in real life, too. Like, this is what, <laughs> you know, it just it made him so happy. We're happy together. He probably knows you missed the shot on purpose. Like, Garrus yeah. isn't a moron. He knows you could hit anything like it's just this warm it feels so carefree like this feels like just a saturday afternoon for these characters and that's why i like it so much and that's when bioware is at its best when it's just capturing these moments that don't feel like they're tied into everything else they're they're just everyday life for these characters these little moments that they share together and you don't need to put like a big spotlight or gravitas behind it you just have this nice Mm -hmm. moment between characters so it, playing that moment and talking about it now i'm like oh god citadel's gonna fuck me up isn't it because as mm-hmm. as you've told me because it is literally all of, all of that. that like all of those and them. that's just oh it's gonna fuck me up real bad ken because i was already getting pretty mm-hmm. fucked up playing this again <laughs> <laughs> I, how about you how would the garris scene hit you too do, do we gotta put another tally? yeah it's, it's another tally on the board no not quite did oh. not get me that way um yeah, it's, it's always been one of those special scenes, just because, like, it is sort of... So much of Garrus's arc in this series has been, like, sort of driven by anger and mm-hmm. 
you know, pursuing his own version of justice. And I mean, granted, like, I was, I was running against, so I encouraged that a lot of the time. So it is nice to just have this moment where, like, it's away from the noise of the apocalypse. Because, like, a lot of, I mean, it is still tense with that a little bit, because he is talking about, like, the world's ending, so I'm just going to do whatever I feel like at this point. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's, it's a reminder of what's going to be there at the end when, when we win. Mm-hmm. It's it's that little reminder of what you fight for, of of mm-hmm. the good in the universe that it's still out there, and the Reapers can't take that from you. It's, it's very right. Oh, getting all warm just thinking about it. <laughs> so that I mean, that's all we've got for our episode today. It was pretty brief. I mean, we only had a few things to go over. Um, there are side missions and stuff, but we'll be hitting that uh, not next week, but the week after. So let me preface this right now. Next week is. For those who don't know, E3 2019. Uh, mm-hmm. Yours truly will be out there on the ground. We'll try and rouse up some Bioware news for y'all at the uh, EA Play. <laughs> I'm just going to walk up to, to people with a microphone and be like, tell me about the, the next Mass Effect. When are you remastering Mass Effect? <laughs> aggressively <laughs> assaulting them. It'll be great. Uh, and, and Ken will be holding down the fort here back at home. Uh, really doing mm-hmm. E3 the right way, in my, in my opinion. I mean, we've both been, I been to so long, E3, though, so. yeah. and as much as I'm anticipating it, I'm equally dreading it, because that is a, that is a carnival and a half out there, man. Mm. But I wanted to, so we won't have an episode next week. The week after is when we'll be doing our next episode. I believe we can confirm our guest. Are we all set on that end? I hope so. <laughs> Because we're about to say it. <laughs> sure hope so. Next week, we'll be going over uh, the Monastery, which is Samara's side mission, Exerberus Lab, which is Jacob's side mission, and Mass Effect 3 multiplayer in general. We wanted to set aside some time to actually just talk about that, delve into that stuff. With one, I really hope I'm not butchering your name right now, Wout McDutch, uh, who some of you might better know as the Hashtagonist on Twitter, uh, mm. they'll be joining us. We're very happy about that. We're happy to... It's about time. Got him on the show, you know? It's it's, it's about yeah. darn time. Uh, we gotta get all those Mass Effect fans on here. There's too many out there that we've not had on the show, and we're running out of Mass Effect. So we're hoping to have some more. Mm. We'll have some other guests. We have at least a few other guests down the line, and we're working on some others as well, but uh, that will be our next episode. Not this next week, but the week after. You can remember it easy as the week after E3, because it'll be the one where I still sound like, oh my god, I'm so dead. <laughs> mm. uh, but, Ken, we, because we don't have mm-hmm. a viewer question this week, if you want to put in a viewer question, you can go on uh, patreon.com slash normdfm. You can donate to the tier. They'll let you submit a viewer question. You can send those on in. We'll answer them on air. We are totally out of viewer questions. We ran out. Our patrons got to give us some more. What are y'all doing? Come on. <laughs> so instead, I'm posing one to Ken, a viewer mm. myself. Why do we call... Why, I call them viewer questions. I've been doing that for a long time. We don't view. We yeah. listen. You've been yeah. letting me just do that. What? I mean, you've also said readers at one point, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we like transcribe this at some point. Didn't they just talk about releasing something that transcribes text to audio for nah. or audio to text for podcasts and stuff? I feel like I saw that recently. Uh, that sounds like a thing that might exist. Anyway, yeah, our transcripts will look great. <laughs> They'll read like mm. Ulysses. Uh, so <laughs> we're gonna wrap up with our own question here. Uh, Ken, what are 
you know, I'll, I'll let the, the listeners out there know that we do our own internal E3 bets and predictions. If you're comfortable with it, I'm comfortable with it. We can air them out right here so that we have them oh, on okay. the record. Let me, uh, let me pull mine up. I'll go first. Uh, we do this every year. Uh, Ken, myself, and Blake Hester, friend of the show, uh, who does not come on here because he does not play Mass Effect. We're working on that. Don't worry. Like a scrub. Uh we basically have a running bet where we all make predictions about various uh, conferences and whoever scores the most points, which is the, the way we determine it is if your prediction is true, you get a point. If your prediction is kind of true, which we kind of fudge a lot, it's half a point. Uh, I don't. I think we stopped doing negative points because that just ended up skewing it real bad. But uh, sometimes we have to make a call. But usually we end up with one clear winner because, at least for me, I like to swing for the fences in my in my bets and predictions. I, I don't like making the safe predictions. Like I could just say, "Oh, Jedi: The Fallen Order will be or will be at E3 and they'll show gameplay." And like, yeah, that's something that's probably going to happen. I feel like I'm pretty sure Xbox has already confirmed that with their tweet today, but. Uh, that's not fun. I want to I wanna swing for the fences here. So I'll go first with mine. These are my unofficial official E3 predictions. Uh, for Microsoft, uh, I'm already wrong here because I have new game from Obsidian, and I don't know what I was thinking there because they already have a game that's called The Outer Wilds, or not Outer Wilds, Outer Worlds. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I think that they're going to come out with another one or a remake or something. That could satisfy that. Yeah, that's will, that'll be my reasoning when I get that right. <laughs> uh, also, I think that they'll show Gears of War 5 Horde mode footage. That seems like a, seems fairly reasonable, considering that we're going to see that game. Uh, and that's what people want to see. I also think that Halo Infinity is going to be next-gen. They're only going to show a trailer, mm-hmm. no gameplay. Uh, I think I'm going to be wrong about that, ultimately. But that's that's that was my thought. Uh, for Nintendo, Waluigi for Smash. He's coming. You you think that's finally going to happen? I think it's going to happen. Uh, Link's Awakening remake will have new content, dungeons, and items. Uh, I also think that's fairly... I think that's a safe bet. Uh, mm-hmm. And third, the one that I really want to happen. Uh, bring Tokyo Mirage Sessions to Switch. What are y'all doing? Put that game on the Switch right now. I want to play it. Ubisoft. <laughs> Splinter Cell tease at the end of the show. This has been going back and forth all the time. I actually did this before... I want to say we did these before there was even the stuff that people were like, oh my god, they leaked Splinter Cell and all that. Yeah. Uh, I've been feeling that for a while. Uh, I think a celebrity will show up for Just Dance. I think it's going to be Marshmallow, the Fortnite dude, because that seems like who Ubisoft would get. And I think there will be a trailer for the new Assassin's Creed. Uh, I didn't put any down for EA because we already kind of know everything that EA is doing. Uh, I would like them to show something from Bioware about Dragon Age, but I don't mm. have high hopes for that. Uh, right. Square Enix, uh, and again, we did these a while back. Uh, this was May 24th when I submitted mine, so this was a while back. Uh, I think there will be an Avengers trailer. I think there will be a new RPG project announced, and by RPG I do mean like classic RPG, Octopath, that sort of thing. Uh, and I think there will be a breakdown of the gameplay of the FF7 remake. Uh, mm. Feeling pretty good about those points, too. So, overall, I think my Benson predictions are doing well. I did not do Bethesda, or... Uh, did I skip someone else? No, just Bethesda. Yeah. PC games. 
Yeah, that's the PC gaming show. How could I? Or the kind of funny game showcase. Uh, mm. Ken, you only did the big three, but I like yours. What were your predictions? Yeah, well, we also just to like. What, and, I know and Sony's you, not. I didn't do Sony well, because Sony's not at E3 this year. <laughs> well, the thing is, okay, just to like, so I don't sound like a complete dumbass. We, some of us, being me and Blake. Also did Sony predictions under the assumption that they will probably do like a state of play or something along those lines. And I, um, so I'm gonna look. I objected. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and list those just so they're out in the world. Um, my first thing was that Ghost of Tsushima was going to get a release date. Um, I don't feel as confident in that one in the event that this state, this hypothetical state of play happens anyway. Um, Left Us Part Two is going to have some actual gameplay shown, a release window, but not a date. And Joel will finally be featured in some form, because he has not been in the uh, last few trailers. He was mentioned, um, and he's not been shown. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and th- there will be ze- zero reference to PS5, like, whatsoever. Yeah, that's going to be next E3, is my gut feeling, is when we're going to hear yeah. a lot about the PlayStation 5. Oh, I mean, we'll probably hear about it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a state of play between here and now where they talk about it. Because I mm-hmm. just think them taking advantage of being able to own a new cycle is a lot, but I think we will be hearing a lot more about PlayStation Five at the next E3 when they have a little bit more room to be like, okay, right. you know what the PlayStation Five is now? Let's just roll out the games for it because that's going to be the mm-hmm. big thing. Okay, right. Microsoft kind of like how they did with PS4. Yeah. So uh, for Microsoft, I said that no more than two projects by all of the Microsoft acquired studios revealed last E3 show would, would or would show what they were working on. Um, and the platform and all of them would be ambiguous because I feel like they are going to be for the next Xbox and that they want to be as ambiguous about that as possible because they don't want people to think that, like, the Xbox One has nothing, even though, if like, we're at the point of the generation where no one's going to be really putting anything out for the PS4 or Xbox One. At least by first party, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the next Xbox will be teased, but not named, shown, or given any kind of release information. Because I again like like the PS Five. I don't think that's coming out that's, this year. That sounds pretty similar and, to last year's. Because la- last year they showed yeah, like a bunch of stuff, but they just kind of said like, "Oh, this is Project." I think it was Project Scarlet is what they called it. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, something from Rare Stable of Characters and IP is featured in some way, whether it's a new game or a crossover promotional thing. Because I my issue with a lot of the way that Microsoft has handled Rare has been that they act like they like I mean they did Rare Replay which was like a kind of a delivering on that thing but like they will bring out characters for like a nostalgia purpose like they had like Conquer and like a yeah they put Conquer in that thing that looked that like AR was, thing yeah it looked like it was going to be Dreams and then it ended up just not yeah. going anywhere and then like the Battletoads were in Killer Instinct it's like they'll they're like oh we care about these characters and this IP that this studio owns but like we do all the most like non-committal things with it well there is a Battletoads so I think that's gonna I mean, that was announced at last E3. There's a Battletoads on the way. So you might you might be mm. scoring on this already. Uh, All right. And, and also, something in your Nintendo predictions could score you a point here, too. Yeah, because like I said Detective Pikachu would be involved in some way, whether it's a sequel that was just announced earlier, last, or like last week, um, or like an alternate costume for Smash or the Sword and Shield. Yeah, I, like, I see that happening. That makes sense. Yeah. Because um, like I feel like they haven't done a lot to capitalize on the that movie. Well, like I don't know. So they had their Pokemon press conference and they said that they're working on uh, Detective Pikachu for the Switch. They haven't said whether that's yeah. going to be a sequel or like a 
definitive edition they did say it was going to add more of an ending than the original had because the original i was led to believe ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger yeah Uh, and it sounds like the one that they're going to put on the switch will have more of a uh a resolution to it so Mm. and not just the actual resolution (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ uh no first party 3ds game shown yeah. because i think they're done with that system yeah, um which is good because i've been playing persona q2 on it and it, that thing is a toy and i will not be told otherwise um and then the next smash dlc character is confirmed and i think because of all the partnerships between instead of microsoft happening right now page kazooie is kind of plausible at this point or it'll be a character from a japanese developer because nintendo likes to pretend that smash brothers is about the history of video games but they will only focus on things from the east so yeah, yeah. So I I also think that there's going to be a new Smash character. Like Wal- Waluigi is certainly like a a meme that I would like to see, and I think mm. because he is a bit of a fun meme style character, they could have some fun with that. Uh, but I also think that it could easily be a. Ja- I know the rumor has been for a long time that uh, Dragon Quest, uh, the protagonist from one of the Dragon Quests, could be in it. So a Japanese protagonist a japanese character it makes a lot of sense also just makes a lot of sense because it is nintendo you know they that is like where a large market for them is so i imagine they'd want to branch out a little bit maybe feature you know crossovers or things that could build up on stuff but then again like with persona 5 like having joker in it but there isn't a persona game on the switch yet there is one coming but it's yeah I, who knows I it, know. could be I mean, anything. Like, yeah. it, it literally could be anything they have surprised us so many times in the past like with cloud with bayonetta with ryu even ryu was kind of like that was a smart get but those i know i've seen scorpion has been theorized at some point i don't think that it would be scorpion. Uh, not a chance although not a chance. if that happens i'm totally buying a scorpion amiibo because that's great mm. but i to wrap this thing up, what are your feelings on this on this year's E3? Because I know I've seen a lot of people talk about how they feel it's going to be a down year. It's going to be a very slow year. And yeah. uh, I kind of want to get your sense on E3. I think from a few sides, I can see why somebody would call it a slow year. Because one, it is like the last year before a new generation starts. So there's not quite as much to show. And if they do, it's going to be, you know, ambiguous conceptual trailers, like, they'll the xbox logo but it won't say xbox one it'll like it'll be things that are in the far future whether that's next year or or you know in the case of something like watchdogs which i think was revealed like three years before Mm -hmm. you know on on an ambiguous platform um and then also like sony's not gonna be there and i mean to an extent sony conferences are the things where or at least like in this generation they have been the place where you can expect the bigger announcements to happen so I feel like, you know, it, it being more of a low-key year is not just, it's not just one thing. It's like a lot of things piling on. Um, I think this gives a lot I don't know, of like, for Microsoft to step in, though. Because, I mean, like, you say that a lot of big stuff comes out at Sony's conferences. But, like, I was, I was doing a feature today where I was looking back at E3 2018. And, like, Microsoft was where Devil May Cry 5 premiered and things like that. Yeah. And so they, they definitely don't have a shortage and especially now that they are the big stage uh we were talking in slack earlier about this uh with with friend of the show travis northup that 
th- having those large console manufacturers can elevate a lot of games beyond what they would normally be able to do. Like the idea that Bethesda and Square Enix and stuff have their own conferences is not necessarily new, but you know, those, those companies and like Ubisoft and EA are the only ones that can really do that. Whereas your, your Capcoms and stuff like that would not get the same recognition trying to put forward their own show versus they get to premiere it on the Xbox stage. There is that like mm-hmm. level of prestige and grandeur to it that is offered when you can put a game up on a stage uh, with with Microsoft and have it you know pushed by Microsoft. And so I think with Sony gone, there's a little bit of room there where those kinds of companies are going to be going to Microsoft to try and get their, their game right. recognized. And that's maybe then that's where we see some interesting stuff get premiered uh, on Microsoft that yeah. we normally would not see. Same with Nintendo. I mean, there's a lot of open room now. Uh, for those right. two companies to step up where Sony, where Sony is not. And it's honestly making me wonder how this is all going to turn out for Sony because I feel like when they initially announced that they were skipping E3, it, it seemed like a big power play. You know, they're going like, oh yeah, we uh, we don't need to Who go. Who needs it's, E3? Um, yeah. it's, the, it's the famous sports, it's the punch that Ali never threw or whatever. Um, it's, yeah, it's the thing that you know they're they're just asserting their dominance they, they're saying like we have won right. this console generation we don't even need to show up ps5 we'll see it then uh yeah and now and... it seems like they've left a lot of room open where some right. i feel like some of the stuff that's been coming out now where they're doing these live streams and these kind of late announcements and stuff like that and people are talking about oh maybe some last of us 2 details are going to come out pretty soon here and it's all mm-hmm. conspicuously timed around e3 and it isn't the first time that Sony's done that either. I mean, last year at E3 2018, there was like a big deal about, oh, Sony's only showing four games. And then in the interim between those four games, they announced like the Resident Evil 2 remake and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. uh, and they showed like a Kingdom Hearts 3 trailer, although that was like the same trailer we'd seen like three times that weekend. So uh, it's, I think there's a big gap now for Microsoft and Nintendo to start to build the upswell that could, launch mm-hmm. them up to compete with sony and then, I, I mean nintendo doesn't yeah. necessarily need to compete with sony you know nintendo's been doing its own thing and found its strengths in doing its own thing uh the switch mm-hmm. is like proof enough of that but for right. microsoft especially the idea that they're gonna be able to compete with sony in the next generation and even at the end of this yeah. generation this is their chance to do it yeah and i mean it is a it's a weird thing to, like, I mean, sure, you think you won this generation, and to be, like, for all we know, it could be, like, by a massive margin, because we haven't heard Xbox uh, sales numbers in what feels like years at this point, but because they're skipped 3 and they didn't do PlayStation Experience, like, there's gonna be, like, if they don't do, if they don't have something scheduled for, like, the next six months, we could not hear them from them for, like, a year and a half, like, and sure, there's state of play, but, like, I'm talking about, like, big event announcements that they do which I mean, yeah, the directs Nintendo Directs has sort of found a way to They built that up over you know, time. Be the, like Yeah, like th- they didn't, you know, completely drop one thing and then just pick up this other thing and it'd be at the same level. Um I don't know, it's a it's a weird thing because like I mean, honestly they also probably don't have a lot to show at this point because they've got Death Stranding, Last of Us and Tsushima and that seems to be it. And like I mean, for the sake of the PS5, I hope that is kind of it, because I hope everything, everyone else has sort of moved on to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I don't know. Like it's a it is a power move, but it also feels like it's a very miscalculated one. Well, the other because if they you you keep going, you keep going. Oh, I was gonna say because like if they don't have anything for what could amount to like eighteen months, mm-hmm. that's that's mindshare lost. Like the you know the the discourse or whatever you want to call it moves fast and. What, when was the last like short of like Death Stranding? When was the last time we really like were amped to talk about like a PlayStation exclusive? Yeah, yeah, it would have been like the last time we had a God last of War, of us. yeah, or God of War even. So, uh, yeah, and that was over a year ago. Yeah, no, so. the the other like interesting wrinkle about all this is that uh, in the Wired article about the PS5 with Mark Cerny and in like talks since. Uh, Sony has reiterated that they want the PS5 to be like backwards compatible in the, in the way mm-hmm. that like a PS4 Pro can play PS4 games at a higher fidelity. They want the PS5 right. to be able to do that, and so they've like reiterated and reaffirmed that games like Ghost of Su- Ghost of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. I can never say that right. Ghost, Ghosts, Ghost. and Ghost. Uh, The Last of Us Two and Death Stranding and all that are coming to the PS4. They will be on the PS4, but there is that theoretical that they can be like oh but if you buy a ps5 you'll be able to play it and it's going to mm-hmm. look so much better and all that so right. in some ways yes they are still you know just setting up and and these titles could be such powerhouses that the appeal of playing them on the ps5 over the ps4 could be enough to draw you to a ps5 and that's right. what they want to do but at the same time you do want a game that's going to be the one you know this is the game i have to play on the playstation 5 you know this is because right. I feel like that was a stumbling block with, say, Skyward Sword or, or like, Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. was that there were, I knew a lot of people who were like, I don't know if I want to get a Switch. I can just play Breath of the Wild on my Wii U or I already have it. Yeah. You know, those three people out there that had a Wii U. And mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to create that situation where people aren't going to upgrade because they could just potentially play the game on the system they already own. Uh, right. So I don't know. It's it's going to be a really interesting E3. I think there's a lot of stuff going in. I think it is going to be smaller than past years. I mean, but even thinking about E3 2018, yeah, there was stuff there. But how much of it like actually amounted? How many of those games that were big at that conference are we still? Have we played? A have we even played them? Mm. And B like are we even talking about them at this point? Versus what are the ones from the conference that we are actually still talking about and thinking about? You know. Resident Evil mm-hmm. Remake was arguably one of the biggest games that got announced at that conference, and that's the one that people still talk about, but you think about like Anthem and The Division and stuff like that, people still mm-hmm. talk about them, just maybe not necessarily in the way that the developers would want. <laughs> so, right. It's, it's going to be a weird year. E3 is always just a wild mess of game announcements and news and interviews and all that kind of stuff, but it is a fun little circus that we get to have every year, and I cherish every year that we have it because I, at some point, yeah, it's probably going to come about that it's time for E3 to go. Uh, I, I don't know that it's always going to be, or that it might just get smaller and not necessarily be the thing that it's always been. Uh, right. But it still has that bit of magic in it, and I'm going to love it for that, even... Even now, although even in its waning you know what's years, gonna, you know what's gonna be worse for you the C three though. What? It'll be the first time you're there without me. I know, right? 
It's cool. Well, you've been once without me. This is me getting you back. This That's is true. karma. I, I guess we're... <laughs> Now we're even it's coming back around. Yeah, so next year I have to find a way to bring you with me. That's 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 what this is. We've we've evened up and we can't let it get uneven again or else No, no. You know, I mean we're all gonna die by twenty fifty, so <laughs> here's hoping. God can we move that timetable up? <laughs> Alright, so remember listeners, yeah. we do not have a show next week because of that magical show E three. We'll be joining you again two weeks from now. Until then, I'm Eric Van Allen. And that was Kenneth Shepard. We're happy you join us here listening on Normandy FM.